Well, good morning. Good to see you here, church. Uh, let me ask you, if you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Uh, and I just, again, hope you are excited about uh, just digging into the Word of God, because I think our passage today uh, is going to be one that has lots to say to us. Um, and our story is continuing uh, from last week as we've been looking at the book of Acts. Uh, remember, God has sent Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. Uh, and last week they sort of went through the island of Cyprus. And we left off last time in Acts 13 verse 12 where it said, The pro believed when he saw what occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And you know, I've always sort of wondered, I guess, what was it? that made Paul's teaching and preaching so effective that it would leave people sort of astonished. And I think today's passage actually gives us several clues about just how to be effective in speaking truth to people. As we see Paul, you know, presenting the gospel in a very specific way to these people. And we actually have like lots to cover. It's a long passage. So I'm just going to jump right in by reading it. Uh, I want to read the whole thing. Uh, it's going to be Acts 13. Our passage, is, uh, our passage is verses 13 all the way to 41. Uh, so if you'd like to follow along, let's jump in. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphmos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers 
Because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to, Jer to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that God appointed, uh, that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way, I will give you the holy, the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, I will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after he served his purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known, therefore, to you, Brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what he said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am, going to do, I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Let's pray. Father God, yeah, just continue to be with us, Lord, in our time together. Uh, pray your Holy Spirit would be here and that, Lord, he finds in each and every one of us hearts that are ready and prepared and eager to hear from you this morning. Uh, pray, Lord, that we would hear truth, that, Lord, you would work through me uh, to just proclaim things that we need to hear, things that, um, things that would leave us transformed. A truth that changes us because it's your truth at work in our hearts. And Lord, we just want to, yeah, we just want to surrender our hearts and our time to you this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, out of, I guess, a sense of curiosity this week, uh, I went back in time in my computer files and I found a copy of what I think is my very first sermon that I ever preached in a church. And it was actually right here in this church. I was standing like right about here. There was a, we had used to have the pulpit. Remember the pulpit? It was great because you could hide behind it. Um, but that was back in June of 1995, I believe. And I was still a student in seminary at that time. And for those of you who may have actually been there at that time and heard that sermon, I'll apologize again uh, because, you know, I looked at that sermon and, you know, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would have been close to an hour long, and it was really not all that good. It was just, it was just you know, first sermons. Um, and I remember hearing Haddon Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was a professor, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I remember him once saying that during two decades in the classroom, he has evaluated nearly 6,000 student sermons. And he says, my friends marvel that after listening to so many hundreds of fledgling preachers that who stumble through their first sermons that I'm not an atheist. Like, it's, it's almost that bad. 
Because the truth is sometimes, and I guess this is the point, sometimes your first sermon just is not good. Uh, you know, you're not always, you don't always know quite what you're doing. You can get nervous. You can get tongue-tied. Uh, you can have brain freeze moments. Lots of things can kind of go wrong. Which is, I guess, what makes this passage in Acts 13 so remarkable. Because, uh, again, if you remember the background, uh, Paul and Barnabas have been sent out by missionaries of the Lord. Uh, and after, you know, leaving their home in Antioch, they travel through the island of Cyprus. And then they set sail from there to Asia Minor and end up in Pisidian, or not Cyprus, yeah, home in Antioch, did I say that? Because there's too many Antiochs here. There's Pisidian Antioch where they end up. It's not the Antioch, Antioch where they started. It's like hundreds of miles away. Different Antioch. Uh, but once they get there, they walk into this local synagogue on the Sabbath day. So church is happening. And in that moment, Paul is given a chance to stand up and really preach his very first sermon that we have recorded in the book of Acts. And of course, the reality is Paul by this time probably had lots of experience teaching and, and preaching in his home church. But this is the very first sermon uh, of his that we get to read for ourselves. And Paul preaches here what is really just an incredible sermon about salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. And when you look at what he says, and more specifically how he says it, you do realize that this passage is is as good as a seminar in effective communication. There are lessons here that can help each and every one of us better share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people around us. And I'm not going to sort of go through this passage with a fine-tooth comb, you know, comb very like verse by verse like I usually do. Uh, this is going to be sort of more of a low flyover, get the lay of the land, as we really just look for principles that can make us more effective and even more relevant in sharing our faith with others. And that very first principle that we find here in this passage is that when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need to say yes to opportunities to speak about Jesus. Uh, we see that happening in verse 15. Verse 15 says, After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement to the people, say it. And Paul does. And you know, I know that when it comes to sharing your faith, there's lots of Christians who say to themselves something like, well, I can be a silent partner in winning the world to Christ. You know, I, I simply want to live out my faith in a real way, you know, letting people see my faith instead of really talking about it. And it's true that, you know, that's important. Lifestyle evangelism, you know, the way that you live your life can be a great testimony to the world around you. But it takes more than that when it comes to sharing Christ. Because eventually, actual words need to be spoken if that person is going to understand who Jesus is. The time comes when we do need to speak. We need to open our mouths and talk to people about Jesus. And this passage shows us that when we are given that opportunity to share, we need to take it. We don't let that opportunity pass us by. And that opportunity may, may not, you know, it may not come as an invitation to preach somewhere like it did for Paul in our passage. That opportunity to share Jesus, it might come during a conversation you're having at work. Or it may happen in the middle of a phone call that, you, that you're having with a loved one. Or it could happen while you're having lunch and you're sitting down with a friend. But we should be looking for those opportunities to share Jesus that come our way. 
and not let those opportunities, those openings pass us by. In fact, here's a good rule of thumb uh, for you to live by. If you are talking with somebody and something comes up and you think to yourself suddenly, I wonder if this would be a good time to talk about Jesus. The answer is yes. Because the secret to sharing Jesus with other people is to just do it. Um, you know, someone who actually did that really well was Bill Bright. Bill Bright was the, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And his son, Brad, he used to say that his dad didn't have the gift of evangelism, as most people would define it. But he loved God so much that he talked about him everywhere he went to anyone who would listen. His son says, even on vacations, dad would suddenly disappear and we'd turn around and find him telling someone about the Lord. When dad got a wrong number on the phone, he would tell that person about Jesus. When he was riding in a taxi, he would tell the driver about Jesus. He talked to CEOs and busboys and doctors, hotel maids, criminals, lawyers, politicians, anyone who would listen. And thousands of people were saved by his efforts. In fact, Bill Bright himself once said this. He said, although I have shared Christ personally with many thousands of people through the years, I am rather reserved as a person. And I do not find it easy to witness. But he says this, I have made this my practice and I urge you to do the same. I assume that whenever I am alone with another person with, for more than a few moments, I am there by divine appointment to explain to that person the love and forgiveness he can know through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, if we all took that advice to heart, our world today would be a very different place. But we should all take the opportunities that come our way to share our faith when they come. That's the first lesson. And the second lesson comes for us as Paul begins to speak to them. Verse 16. He says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And the lesson here is that in sharing your faith, you need to know the people and the context that you're sharing your faith with. Uh, for Paul, he knew in this moment that he was talking to devout Jews. These were or, and God-fearing men who were converts to Judaism. These were men of the synagogue. These are men who knew the history of Israel. These are men who knew their, their Hebrew Bibles, you know, backwards and forwards. And the way that Paul shares his faith with them really shows that because he begins by talking about Israel. And in this, he, he basically he recounts the entire history of them as a people and how God chose them and God prospered them, God led them, God fought for them. And how God give, gave Israel leaders and kings. Because those are things these men understood. Those were things that were a huge part of their lives. That was actually part of how these men understood themselves in the world. And then it is then that Paul goes on to tell them how Jesus now fits into their understanding. Because after he talks about King David, he says in verse 23, he says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he's promised. Paul tells these Jewish men that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the line of David. And that is something that each one of them could understand. So Paul uses the history and the tradition of Israel to show these Jewish people how Jesus connects to their lives. 
And yet, here's what's interesting. Because if you were to take that passage, even today, word for word, and you were to proclaim that in a shopping mall, or in a bowling alley, or even if you took that over to your neighbor's house and just said, I want you to hear this about Jesus, and you read that to them, I would say that most of the people you're talking to would have no idea what you're talking about. It would probably confuse them more than it clarified who Jesus was to them. Most people would think, like, what? Like, who, who's Samuel the prophet? Like, Saul, the son of Cush, is, is it, isn't he that new rapper I saw on TV? Like, I have no idea. Moses? I mean... Wasn't Moses in that, the guy in that movie with Charlton Heston? I mean, I don't remember Jesus in that movie. What are, you, what are you talking about? Most people today would have little to no idea what Paul was talking about in these verses. And even in, back in Paul's time, you'll see just a few chapters later in the, in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, Paul gets another chance to talk about Jesus to a group of people who are gathered together. But this time they're not Jews. This time, he's in the city of Athens, and he's talking to a bunch of secular Gentile scholars and philosophers. So you know what? In sharing Jesus with them, Paul doesn't mention the history of Israel even once. Instead, he talks about philosophy and poetry and creation, and he quotes some of their favorite authors, and he even uses one of the false idols he saw in that city as a talking point to lead them to God. It's a completely different approach than the one we see in our passage. But the point is that Paul got to know his audience so he could know the best way to present the gospel to different groups of people. And our job as people who want to share the gospel is to do the same thing. It's to help people see Jesus, you know, the way that Jesus is going to fit into their life. And in saying that, I will give you this piece of advice when it comes to this. Because the best way that you can do that, the best way you can understand someone you are speaking to is to build a relationship with them. The best common ground for sharing your faith is friendship. So go and spend time with someone if you want to share the gospel with them. You just go and listen to them. Go and care for them. Go over to their house. Go out for coffee. Watch the game together. Do things together. Take an interest in their life Ask them questions, engage in conversations, discover what are their hopes and their dreams and their hurts and their fears and their goals and their desires. And you know what? In time, you will begin to know how to answer the questions that they're struggling with, and you will start to think of ways to present Jesus as the Savior in a relevant way to that person. Because the better you know someone, the more effectively you can tell that person about Jesus. And you know what? Leading people to Jesus is what it is all about. And that's actually our third lesson when it comes to sharing our faith. And that is simply always lead people to Jesus. You know, when you're, when you're talking with someone, just casually, you can talk about the weather, you can talk about your job, you can talk about your family, politics. You can talk about whatever you want and you can do it all at the same time. But when you are sharing the gospel you need to talk about Jesus. And getting people to Jesus is the goal. Even as Paul speaks in this passage, I mean, this message he gives, it may seem like a lot of words and a lot of history, and some of it may seem like a bit of, of a rabbit trail if you're not paying attention, but everything that Paul says here 
was said with one purpose, and that was to eventually bring this conversation around to the person of Jesus for these people. Because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is not just part of one of God's projects here on earth. Jesus is the whole point of it. The whole point of creation, the whole point of the scriptures, the whole point of history comes back to Jesus. All of God's work here on earth is to bring people from where they are, which is separated in sin, and bring them to Jesus for reconciliation and forgiveness. Because Jesus is what matters. There's an old reading that even talks about how Jesus is the key to everything. Key to understanding our Bibles is to see Jesus Christ on every single page. It says, I find my Lord in the word of God wherever I chance to look. He's the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily bright and fair. Whenever I open my Bible, the Lord of the book is there. He's at the book's beginning and gave the earth its form. He's the ark of shelter bearing the brunt of the storm. He's the burning bush of the desert, the budding Aaron's rod. Whenever I look in the Bible, I see the Son of God. The ram on Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, the skylit cord in the window, the serpent lifted high. The smitten rock in the desert, the shepherd with staff and crook, the face of my Lord I discover whenever I open the book. He is the seed of the woman, the Savior virgin born. He's the son of David of whom men rejected with scorn. His garments of grace and beauty, the stately Aaron deck. He is a priest forever for he's Melchizedek. Light of eternal glory whom John the apostle saw, the light of the golden city, lamb without spot or flaw. Bridegroom coming at midnight for whom the virgins look. Whenever I open my Bible, I find my Lord in the book. And that's what Paul was doing with these men. He was showing them Jesus. He was making it about Jesus, and that's what we need to be doing. We need to find ways to bring our conversations around to Jesus. Because Jesus should be the center of all that we do. Jesus should be the focus. He should be our main priority. And you know what? If you have someone who's struggling in your life, someone who is feeling discouraged, someone who is in need of hope and need of forgiveness, they don't need another sermon. They don't need to take a self-help class. They don't need the power of positive thinking to feel better about themselves. They need Jesus. And we should be able to help them find him. We lead people to Jesus. Which leads us to the fourth thing we learn as Paul shares his faith with this group of people. And that is simply when we lead people to Jesus, we also need to make it really clear who Jesus is. We need to tell people the full truth about Christ. Let's go back to our passage in verse 27. It says, Paul says this to them, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which, they are, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt in him, worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who have come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to, these, to the people. 
And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And you know, that's kind of a long bit of passage there, but notice just even a few things that Paul is saying about Jesus here. I mean, he tells these people that scriptures speak about Jesus and that he fulfilled what was written about him. He tells them that Jesus was without sin or guilt, but evil men still rejected him. He tells them that Jesus was, you know, sacrificed, killed on the cross, and that he was laid in a tomb, but that God then raised him from the dead where he was seen by many witnesses. And he tells them even that God himself declares that Jesus was the Son of God. You see, when Paul tells these people about Jesus, He's not just making Jesus out to be a buddy you can hang out with if you need a friend. It's, you know, Jesus isn't just a therapist that you can you know, help you can recover from a tough time in your life. He's not a financial advisor who's going to help you be successful. Jesus isn't just a rock star or celebrity that all the cool kids can hang out with if they want to be popular. No, Paul is telling his listeners the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And when we do that, we typically break this down into two essential areas. And this is a bit more practical advice for you when it comes to sharing your faith. Because when you're talking about Jesus with someone, there's really two things about Jesus that we are trying to make absolutely clear. The first is, who is Jesus? That Jesus was more than just any man, but he was the only begotten Son of God. That he was the Word made flesh. That he lived a perfect life of obedience. He was, you know, the Lamb without sin who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus was holy. That he was loving. That he was God. I mean, Jesus is the Messiah. That he's the promised one. And he's our Savior. He was fully man and fully God. That's who Jesus is. And then secondly, what we try to do is we let people know what Jesus did on our behalf. We let them know that because God loved us, Jesus, who was the Son of God and who was without sin, was both willing and worthy to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And his resurrection is now the source of our hope and our future by grace through faith in him. And that now, because of what Jesus did, we can have a relationship with God that we are part of his kingdom, that we are part now of his family, that we are children of God because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And that's good news. And the source of that, our salvation, is rooted in the person of Jesus, who he is and what he does. And we need to let people know the fullness of that. Which leaves us only one lesson left for sharing our faith with others. This one, I think, was kind of awkward for me. I didn't quite know how to put it, but I guess the point is to just, when you're sharing your faith with somebody, don't neglect to mention or overlook talking about things that might be uncomfortable. Because look at verse 38 and 39, just as an example. Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now just think about what Paul has said to these people. Because he has just told them 
these Jews, that everything that they have been doing, everything that they, you know, have believed, you know, all of their own faithfulness, their strict obedience to the law of Moses their entire life, he's just said to them, all of that stuff you're doing is not enough. Because true forgiveness only comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He tells them, guys, your human effort, even your best effort, it just isn't going to cut it. And it's an understatement to say that that could have made Paul very unpopular with this crowd. Maybe a message they just didn't want to hear. But you know what? If Paul didn't say those things to them, he would have essentially left these people to die in their sin, oblivious to where true salvation can be found. Because when we share Jesus with other people, there will always be things that we have to say that will make people uncomfortable. That's just the reality of it. You know, even today, talking about things like the need for someone to repent or the reality of sin, or the reality of hell, or even the reality of the judgment of God, or the exclusivity of Christ, can make people upset. And you know, I don't particularly like, like telling someone they're a sinner, but it's true. And I can't not say it. I don't like telling people that they are going to experience an eternity in hell if they do not repent. I don't like telling people that no matter how good a life they're trying to live, that it amounts to nothing in light of eternity without Christ. But to not mention those things is to preach only a partial gospel, an incomplete gospel. And that's a gospel that doesn't truly save people from sin. Because you can't have heaven without hell. You can't have forgiveness without an understanding of sinfulness. You can't have salvation, you know, without bringing a person to a place where they understand the need for repentance. Because for the good news to truly be good news, they have to understand that there's bad news. And for the gospel to be complete, people need to hear all of it. And that's why we hold firmly to the truth of God. We don't water down the gospel. We don't edit out the parts, you know, that are uncomfortable so they can be more acceptable to the masses. We protect it and we guard it as something that's been entrusted to us. And the truth is that while we were sinners, and we are sinners, God sent his son to give up his life so that we could live. He died as our substitute. He died in our place. He died paying the debt of sin that we owe and that sin is real. And sin is ugly and sin is deadly, but sin has a solution. And the Savior has come, and now there is a way to be forgiven and to be set free. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he didn't say, I am one of many ways. He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He didn't say, I'll tell you which direction to head. He said, I am the way, the one and only way to be saved and to come to the Father. And you can't change that. You can't downplay those truths. You can't leave those things out when you're talking about the gospel. And Paul, he doesn't hedge the truth when he's speaking about Jesus to these people. And he says, even in all of your self-righteousness, you guys have fallen short and you, you need Jesus. And that's how Paul presented the gospel to these people. He took the opportunity to speak when it was given to him. He spoke away and that was relevant 
to those who were listening. He brought these people to the person of Jesus and he told them clearly about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And he didn't avoid the uncomfortable truths or the things that might offend, but he presented the whole of the gospel. And next week, as we continue in the book of Acts, we're gonna see how the people actually respond to Paul's words here. And I'd encourage you to, you know, be reading ahead in, in our series in your own time. But for today, just as we close, I guess the response that I want all of us to have to what we've heard, the thing that I think I want us to take home, the one challenge I would give to you really goes back to our very first point. And that is simply make sure we take opportunities to share Christ with others. Because you know what? To me, this is where evangelism fails the most. And I've said this to you before, and I'll probably say it to you again. I believe the biggest obstacle to sharing our faith in our world right now isn't a lack of training. It's not a lack of funds. It's not persecution. It's not, you know, opposition to the gospel. It's not a lack of opportunity or anything else like that. The biggest obstacle to sharing our faith is that so many Christians today simply choose not to do it. When the opportunity comes, they just pass it. They let it pass by. So what I'm really saying to you, I guess, this morning is that I want you to be thinking of yourself as a missionary. In fact, you're as much as a missionary as Paul and Barnabas were. On this, on this missions trip they were taking. And it's not that you necessarily have to leave home or go across the seas to do this. In fact, you may only have to walk across the street or even across the room. But you know what? You have the good news and the words of life to share with the lost world and a lost person. And there may be people in your life who only you can reach. There may be people who will only will ever have the opportunity to hear Christ shared if you share it with them. So when you go to work, understand you're not just a worker, you're a missionary. You're not just a teacher. You're a missionary who works as a teacher. You're not just a plumber. You're a missionary who fixes sinks. You're not just a student. You're a missionary who goes to school. You're not retired. You're a missionary on a fixed income. You're not just a neighbor. You are a missionary whose concern ought to be finding ways to be salt and light in your community. And that begins with just taking the chance to begin a conversation and taking hold of those opportunities to share Jesus with others when they come. Doors open all around us every day in people's lives. We need the courage to walk through them. Because we really do have good news of great joy that will be for all people. We have words of life that can't be found anywhere else. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can offer to people freely. And Jesus can touch every heart. He can speak into every need. He can quiet any doubt. He can give any person life and life abundantly. Because anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a truth that never changes. It's a truth that never fails. And it's a truth that meets a real need and desire in a person's life. And we need to do all that we can to speak that truth to others in a way 
that is relevant and effective. And you know what? In light of eternity, other than our own salvation, this may be the most important work that we can be a part of in the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's sharing Jesus with the people around us. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that even after all that we've heard, and I guess even after all that we know about you and your heart, that you would give us hearts to follow you and for the people all around us. And that, Lord, you would put in our hearts a desire to bring people to you, to present to them the words of life and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, I know that in doing that, there's always fear, there's always hesitancy, there's always uncertainty when we take that step. But Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and even boldness as we seize those opportunities around us. Because Lord, we don't have to go halfway across the world like Paul did to share the gospel with a group of people. Lord, we can we can do it on the phone with our neighbor. We can walk across the street. We can do it in an office. We can do it while we're having lunch with a friend. But Lord, again, and we don't have to do that with a million people or preach to thousands like Paul did. Lord, even if there's just one or two people in our lives that you would put in our hearts and say, Lord, these are the people that I can share the news with. We will make an eternal difference in that life. And that means something. We can take the good news to them. And Lord, that's not only something, Lord, that our hearts desire. Lord, that is something that you've called us to. Lord, that is obedience to your word as you told us to go and be witnesses. And I pray, Lord, that in faithfulness we would actually go and we would speak those words. Always remembering, Lord, the results are not up to us. Lord, if people hear us and walk away, the results are in your hands. Our, our job is just to be faithful, to open our mouths, and to speak the words of life. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that, that we would be witnesses and that we would be missionaries to the people all around us and speak Christ to, to, to all who come our way. In Jesus' name.